Welcome to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. Today, as we continue our series in Jonah, we will discover that God gives us room as he shifts our thinking, our actions, and our lives. And when we accept all that he is doing, we will undergo a holy shift. Well, this morning, as uh, we are continuing our series, Jonah, uh, I hope that you are as excited as I am to continue to read and, and, and discover what God has to say for us in this amazing story. Uh, it's, it's, just, it's just packed full. The more I read this, this story, the more I look into it, the funnier it gets, the, the more tragic it gets. It, it's just, it's, it's filled with just ironic moments. There's, there's moments where there's oxymorons happening. It's just, it's a wonderful, wonderful story. And, and so today we are going to continue on. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, aren't we finishing up the story today? I mean, what, aren't we going to be finishing up the series today? No, we're not. We're actually going to sort of wrap it all up next week. There is a, a certain message, I think, that, that God really wanted us to know, and it's an overall thing. But but each chapter has had its own little message to us. And today is, is no different. So uh, the one thing that I am learning in life very quickly, I know I'm, I'm, I'm young to some of you, to some of you I'm old, kids and teenagers, uh, is this. this I mean, I, I'm, I'm not even close to being midway through life. But what I've learned thus far is that life seems to be a sequence of shifts. It is, no matter what happens in life, you are going to go through a shift. Maybe a shift, uh, maybe this week you'll have a shift in your weekly schedule, right? And you'll have to deal with that. But there's also bigger things that we shift in life. We have a shift in thinking. We have shifts in stages of life. We have shifts in where we live and where we work and where we play. We have shifts that make us uncomfortable. No matter how inevitable shifts are in our life, we still sometimes need to have these transitionary moments, right? Where if we are shifting our thinking or we're shifting what we're doing or we're shifting our schedule, we sort of have to get out of the whole concept of what was and what is. Now And in these, these transitionary moments, we get, oh, all kinds of emotions. Anger, we get anxiety, we get sorrow, we, we get excitement, we get <sighs> irritable, stressed. Actually, believe it or not, there are certain events in our lives that shift the way our, we live our lives that even though they are good, they are actually some of the most stressful things you will ever encounter. For example, getting married is one of the most stressful things you will ever do in your life. And those who are married 50 years are saying, no, marriage is the most stressful. No. <laughs> no, moving from single to married, believe it or not, is one of the most stressful moments in your life. Having children. We love children. They're wonderful. They were bringing new life into the world, but they, getting used to the child coming into your life is stressful. I've been told by some parents that the second child is actually harder than the first. Because instead of just dealing with 
the needs of one, you're dealing with the needs of two or more. They say that new jobs can be stressful. They say that moving, moving is incredibly stressful. Even though that these things might be great, it's a right step to take. We get irritable, we get stressful, we get angry, we get sorrowful. I know some of you are looking forward to retirement. Guess what? That is stressful. That is listed up there as being one of the most stressful moments of your life. And again, the only reason that we experience this is because we are moving, we are shifting our lives into a new reality that we have not experienced yet. You're going to have a different life. You're going to have a different schedule. You're going to have a different way of thinking. And in these moments, we sometimes share our stress with the people around us. We sometimes get angry at the people around us. We sometimes are down and out because of this. If any of this sounds familiar to you, know that Jonah is a story about a shift that God wanted to make in Jonah's life. And the majority of the things that he did was this transitionary, stressful moments that he just didn't want to accept it. Because over the past few weeks, as we've learned, we heard in the first week that God gives Jonah a call to Nineveh. Nineveh, which is the enemy of Israel, which is the enemy of, of all things that are good. They, they do terrible things to each other. They do terrible things to everyone else. They worship wrong gods, all these different kinds of things. God calls Jonah to these people. He says, uh-uh, no, no, I'm pretty sure, God, that you do not want me to do that. And so he goes the other way. He tries to flee to Tarshish. And what we find out is that, the, that God sends a storm to get his attention. But in reality, he's just wanting to run away from God. And they throw him overboard. And then we learn that he is swallowed by a big fish. And the big fish, he prays a psalm. In some ways, the psalm looks like he's actually accepting what God has done. But at the same time, we're not exactly sure. It's almost like... He might be evading responsibility, like he's saying the right things to get out of the belly of the fish. But either way, God has the fish vomit him out, and then he goes to Nineveh. And he does exactly what God asks to a point. He walks in to the city, which is a three days walk across, and he takes one of those days and he says, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. And then, just like those clickbait articles, you'll never guess what happens next. Nineveh hears this terrible, terrible message, and they decide to turn to God and repent to him. And even though God had Jonah say, guess what, you're going to be overthrown, Nineveh, God changes his mind. And he keeps the Nineveh, the city of Nineveh, around. Jonah's been struggling with this ever since. And today, everything comes to a head. 
So we are reading today in Jonah chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. And as I said, this, this comes directly after, this, this passage comes directly after God decides not to destroy Nineveh. Can you put that other background up there, Timothy? There we go. This is what we read in Jonah chapter 4. <clears throat> but Jonah thought this was utterly wrong. Everything that just happened, he thinks this is wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, come on, Lord, wasn't this precisely my point when I was back in my own land? This is why I fled to Tarshish earlier. I know that you are a merciful and compassionate God, very patient, full of faithful love, and willing not to destroy. At this point, Lord, you may as well take my life from me, because it would be better for me to die than to live. There's some irony in everything that he just said. You're willing not to destroy. Would you destroy me? <laughs> the Lord responded, Is your anger a good thing? But Jonah went out from the city, sat down east of the city. There he made himself a hut and sat under it in the shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a shrub, and it grew over Jonah, providing shade for his head and saving him from his misery. Jonah was very happy about the shrub. But God provided a worm the next day at dawn. And it attacked the shrub so that it died. Then as the sun rose, God provided a dry east wind. And the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint. He begged that he might die, saying, It's better for me to die than to live. God says to Jonah again, Is your anger about the shrub a good thing? Jonah doubles down and says, Yes, my anger is good, even to the point of death. But the Lord said, you pitied the shrub for which you didn't work and which you didn't raise. It grew in a night and perished in a night. Yet for my part, can't I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who can't tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? And then it ends. The story ends with God asking that question. As I shared with you earlier, this is the part of the story where everything comes to a head. We begin to understand why Jonah did what he did in the first place. Essentially, when he begins to talk to, to God in his anger, he declares some very, very important parts about God. We, I know that you're merciful. I know that you're compassionate. I know you're full of faithful love and willing not to destroy. These are all really good things. <laughs> but he knew that God might give Nineveh a chance to turn to him. That's why he left. He knew everything about God in the first place. And in this moment, Jonah is basically saying in his anger, God, I told you so. Which again is very funny for a human to tell God, I told you so, right? 
God doesn't understand anything that's going on in this story at all, does he? We know that God knows everything that's going on in this story. We know that God understands everything that was going to happen, understands everything that's happening in Nineveh, everything that Jonah is feeling. And so Jonah is angry because God did what he expected God to do. My wife would call that being butthurt. <laughs> being angry about something that there's really nothing to be angry about. Lived into the expectation here. But really what God was trying to do in this entire thing, it's not just about giving Nineveh a chance to turn to God. It's not just about even Jonah living into the call. But God was trying to share with Jonah a radical shift in thinking. That shift that, guess what? Even the people who are terrible and are bad and have done nothing right their entire lives, they get a chance. They get a chance to turn to me and to turn their lives over to me. But Jonah didn't want any of that. Not at all. And so through the midst of all of this, Jonah keeps on saying, no, 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 no. A storm comes, no. A fish comes, no. He goes and does about half of the work that he needs to do, no. God. Come on. This is not what I want. Phil's tribal says this about Jonah. Whatever happens contrary to Jonah's will, be it destructive or salvific, in other words, saving people, he'd rather die than live with it. He is so set in his way. And yet God continues to pursue him. He keeps saying no. He keep, it's like God understands that humans have a difficult time with shifting their thinking and shifting their life. And so God keeps on, hey, I'm going to keep working on it. Oh, you're running away? Guess what? I'm going I'm, I'm to reach out to you, shake you a little bit. Come on, here's the storm. <sighs> I'm going to die. I'm going to die. No, here comes the fish. I believe in you, Jonah. Come on, you can do this. I'm going to spit you out. All right, Jonah, you're beginning to live into... Jonah, come on, dude. You're angry about this? The good news that God never gives up on Jonah and the good news that God is willing to save Nineveh is not good news to Jonah, period. The good news for you and I, is that God doesn't stop reaching out to us. No matter how firmly we dig our heels in, He never stops reaching out to us. But sometimes we act just like Jonah, and we act with anger. Let me tell you something. The Hebrew words here around anger, 
it's not just an, he, Jonah's angry. There's this imagery with this Hebrew word that he is burning. He is burning with anger. Like, this is not just, I'm angry about the Patriots being the Super Bowl. This is full-throated anger where, you know, the face is totally red and they cannot, and you can't see anything but the anger. Burning with anger. And so Jonah does exactly what he's been doing this entire story. He says these things, and God says, is your anger a good thing? And this is what I, this is what I expect Jonah to do as God asks this question. He looks at God, and he just stomps away. I'm going over here and building myself a hut. You can't talk to me. He sits in his hut, and he waits to see whether or not Nineveh is actually going to be destroyed or not. Because in his heart, he wants Nineveh still to be destroyed. If you just had a vision of a child throwing a temper tantrum, that's exactly what Jonah's doing here. And he tries to run away like he has the entire thing. And guess what? God follows him. And God begins to maybe reach out through a different way. Instead of a storm, instead of a, of, of a, of a fish, he sends this little shrub to grow up. An olive branch, if you will. And Jonah gets happy about this because, you know, it's hot where Nineveh is. And so he's like, oh, yeah, this is nice. But then the shrub grows so fast that a worm gets it and it dies. And Jonah goes from angry to happy to angry again. And this is when God really tries to show him exactly what he's been trying to do the entire time. Hey, Jonah, Nineveh, all the people who are in Nineveh, they're my creatures. I love them. And they are worthy of being able to come back to me. There is no us versus them. I get it. I get that Nineveh hasn't been great in the past. But guess what? They deserve my love and grace because that's who I am. I love I pursue my creatures. I want everybody to live rightly with me. Don't I have a right to do that? And then it ends. It ends, it's like when you finish up a movie that has that cliffhanger and the camera begins to pan away and you're like, no, 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 no! I demand resolution, but we don't get resolution. Believe it or not, this is not the only story in the Bible that ends like this. You'll recall that when Jesus is talking to his followers, he tells the parable about the prodigal son. The parable of the prodigal son is very simple. There's a younger son, there's an older son. The younger son is tired of working for his dad. And he says, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my money. And he goes. Seriously, that's literally what it means. I wish you were dead. Give me my money. And he goes and he blows all the money 
on worldly things. And when it was all out, when he had his good time, he comes to the realization, um, my life stinks. What have I done? I could go back maybe, and maybe my dad will let me just work. Not as a son, but just as a worker. And he comes back. And the father is so excited to see his son come home. He puts on a party. Now the older son, who's been back at home, working really hard, for his dad, doing the right thing, gets wind that there's a party happening for the son who said to their father, I wish you were dead. He gets upset about this. And so in the middle of the party, you have the dad and you have the older son arguing. Why in the world would you do this? He did all this. He doesn't deserve this. And the father says, I am so happy my son has come home. He was once lost, but now is found. You have everything entitled to you, but right now we need to celebrate your son, who is, your, your brother who has come home. And then it ends like that. The camera pulls away. We never get to hear what the older brother says, just like we never get to hear what Jonah says. This is intentional. We never get to hear the resolution because what these stories do is it causes us to maybe potentially see ourselves in Jonah, to see ourselves in the older brother. Am I ever like Jonah? Am I ever so stubborn that there is no way God I'm going to do this. I'm not going to accept it. I'm just going to run away from you. I'm not na 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 boo boo loo Can we be like Jonah in life? Has God asked us to give up something that we are not willing to give up? Has God asked us to leave our life of sin and yet we continuously go back to sin because it makes us feel comfortable in moments that are difficult? Does he ask us to leave a prejudice or a worldview that, that is totally not within the scope of who Jesus was and who God is? Has God asked us to go somewhere and do something we've never done before and we're saying, I can't do that right now. I don't have the money, the time, the energy. Or has God asked you these things and it keeps, he keeps prodding you. He keeps bugging you. He says, hey, 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 hey. Because it's not like God like, comes down to Jonah really angry whenever he's not doing his will. He keeps asking questions like, is your anger a good thing? <laughs> he doesn't say, Jonah, you idiot, you dum-dum, have a sucker. He doesn't say those things. He just says, is your anger a good thing? He deals with Jonah so gently and so kindly and so lovingly. That maybe you and I, that God has called us to do something, whether it be sin or to do something new or to let go of grudges or to, to let go of prejudices or anything like that, 
He's just saying, hey, hey, is your anger a good thing? I need you to do this. I need you to shift your life to what I want for you. Because guess what? It's a better life. Uh Uh-uh. Nope. Nope. Not. Nope. And we get upset with them. If you are in that kind of quarrel with God, maybe it's time to just shift your life to him. Maybe it's not worth making the messes that you've already made by saying no for so long. Maybe it's not worth holding something against God whenever God has given you everything that you could ever need in life. And realize that it's maybe us that needs to change. That us that needs to shift. Because any time that we project, any time that we project, not that, but (laughs) it happens sometimes, friends. Is it all right? Okay. Anytime that we project what we want on him and live our lives accordingly, we create ways and reasons for our wants and project them on God. We are very wrong when we do this. This is anything, friends. We can project something that we were taught from a very early age onto God and say, God, this is what you want me to do. No, no. Hold the phone, dude. You could self-justify some of the sins that we talk about to leave in the church. And you might say to your things, well, at least I don't do this. Or, you know, there's not an explicit Bible verse for whenever I do my taxes slightly wrong and I get a little bit more money back. There's no Bible verse about that, is there? There's no Bible verse about this or that. These are the moments that we are in serious trouble when we project what we want onto God and we say, no, God, God will let me do this. God will let me believe this. God will let me hate my neighbor. God will let me alienate people. God will let me make enemies of people who are different than me, who, are, who have different religions than me. Because this is a battle. This is a war. We need to win the war. No, 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 no. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law is wrapped up in that. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. I know I say it every Sunday, but it's true. It always comes back to what Jesus says. And when God calls us on this, when we find out that we are indeed wrong, we know. We're just like Jonah. 
Here's the good news. When God is trying to shift our lives, to shift our thinking, he gives us room in the transition. When God shifts us away from a sin or God shifts our thinking into a new way of living, he gives us room for the transition because he does this with Jonah. He constantly is giving Jonah chance after chance after chance after chance. He has empathy for him. But may we, when we are being like Jonah, not just say, oh, well, he's giving me room, so I must be right. Don't do that. Shift into the reality God is shifting you to. Because if you don't, you will have mess after mess after mess. You will have storms and fish and shrubs. You'll have broken relationships. You'll have, you'll constantly go back to the thing that makes you feel better when you're lonely. You'll constantly uh, think that the way that people think humans are is just the way we are. We'll make excuses for sin. We'll do all these different kinds of things and we'll make more messes of ourselves. Just go with it. Go with it. Because God's shift is something far greater. And no matter how big of a mess that we make, God will provide a way out of it. God will provide a way for you to do his will, to leave the sin, to change your mind, to treat people differently, to offer forgiveness, all of the things that we talk about. Eugene Peterson talks about this shift. But that interior shift of the imagination, that radical reconceptualizing of reality, immediately expands our sense of reality past understanding. And it sets us down in a world far, far larger than anything we could have ever dreamed of. And makes it possible to travel, to build, to heal, to learn, and experience in ways impossible previous to the paradigm shift. The paradigm shift didn't create more reality. It made it possible for us to be adequate to be adequate to far more of the reality already there. In other words, if you're thinking to yourself, there is no way I could ever do what God has asked me to do. There's no way It's not even possible. That means that you need to undergo a holy shift. A shifting of your thinking, a shifting of your actions, a shifting of all things. And it might seem impossible. It might be impossible to give up something that you're addicted to. It might seem impossible to forgive what we would call the unforgivable. It might be impossible. It's, it's impossible for me to, to, to not rely on my own finances and, and for me to give to people in need. It's impossible to live like you were saying, to, to love my enemies. It's impossible. No, 
It is. It's already there. The difference is you haven't accepted God's shift yet. Allow him to shift your life. Out of the sin that has always held you back, out of the prejudices that you've held for so long, out of the sufferings that you have experienced, out of the ways we've always thought God worked, out of the old and into the new. Undergo a holy shift. Now, I gotta tell you a story about something, about how God shifted my life. You need to understand that I grew up in very black and white. This is right, this is wrong. What I thought was right and what you thought was wrong. <laughs> Brooke might still think I act like that occasionally. No, I'm kidding. But in a way that was so alienating, I would, I would legitimately build my friendship circles whether or not somebody agreed with exactly how I believed. And a lot of it was around Christian thoughts and processes. Christian thoughts and processes. I put those in quotes because anytime that you put truth above love, you probably stopped acting Christian. And I started, through college, God began to shift my life to be able to see not different ways of thinking and different people as either my enemies or somebody who I just need to tolerate, but rather people who are people, who God loves and who I am called to love regardless of whether or not they believe exactly as I believe, whether or not they're on the same political side as me, whether or not they even believe there is a God. And as God began to shift, it sort of really came to a head a few years ago when I, as an associate pastor, began to roll out something that was very, very important for our church. It was very important. We had to do this. But because I'm young, I was younger at the time, and I was an associate pastor. I didn't mean that everybody really needed to do it. Because <laughs> sadly in church, if you're young, you're still looked down upon in a lot of circles. Not this church, thankfully. Thank the Lord. But there are some churches. Eh, I'm not going to listen to you. And a person became very, very distraught with this initiative. And it was an initiative to make our church culture better, to make us safer, to, to help out in great amounts of ways, to make us legal. But a person was in particularly very upset about this because this person had a misunderstanding of what we were asking. And so this person came into my office one day and proceeded to, to share their 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 particular opinion about this. Don't need to do this. If I do this, I, I, I feel like you don't trust me. I don't feel like you actually love me. I don't feel this, like all these different kinds of things. And as the conversation continued, 
it became less and less about an exchange of ideas of what needs to happen. It became personal. It became much more emotional. It became much more angry. I was being yelled at. I was being screamed at. I was being questioned. My integrity was being questioned as a person. The anger about doing the right thing became anger at me. I took it. I listened. I did not back away from my position because, again, it was something that we had to do. Five years previously, I don't think I could have gone through that conversation and still loved that person because I was still stuck in my own way of, no, I'm right. And I would do exactly what the world does to people who disagree with others. Forget you. You're wrong. We're not going to have a relationship. We don't need to talk this out. You're my enemy. I'm going to discredit you because you think this. I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to treat you totally different. In other words, when there's disagreement in the world, we make people enemies. And we stop seeing people as people. Five years before this conversation, I would have done it. I would have seen that church on Sunday. I would have seen that person at church on Sunday, and you know what I would have done? I was like, I want to talk to that person. I don't want to be near a person who questions my integrity because they're upset about a small thing. But thankfully, God shifted my life. God shifted my thinking. God was sharing the same message that he shared with Jonah. That person is a person who is loved by me and you love that person. No matter what they say to you, no matter what they have done, no matter how much they question you, love them. Love them. And I did. I didn't stop seeing this person. I didn't try to avoid this person. I tried to love and continuously reach out to this person after that conversation. Because God had shifted the way I think and live. What is God wanting to shift in your life? Is it a thinking like that? Do you struggle with the same thing that I struggled with? Is God wanting to shift you away from sin? And shame? Is God wanting to shift you into new realities where you serve others in great capacities? Is God looking to shift you to lead others to Christ? Is God looking to shift you to do His will? Let Him do it. He will provide for you. You don't, gotta get, you don't have to get angry. 
And in the moments that you get frustrated, God still loves you and God's going to still keep on keeping on with you. So this morning, as we close, would you look at Jonah and then look at yourself? And if God has put something in your heart, a twinge of regret, a twinge of guilt, a twinge of maybe even anger, won't you give your life to him and allow him to shift you into new realities? Thank you for listening to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. We hope you are inspired by this week's message. We'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We are located at 3924 High Street Northwest in Warren, Ohio. For more information about our ministries, visit us at championnaz.org. Thank you.